Typically Hazardous, this is Hank Fortner, and welcome to the show. So excited to bring you this episode. This episode is my 20-ish questions with Rob Bell. 20-ish questions is a series of episodes I'm going to be bringing to you when I can get access to a high-intensity leader or to a public figure that you and I have watched their stuff or heard their stuff or been a part of their stuff before. Instead of asking them to say the same thing that they've said or interview the same interview you've heard them do somewhere, we're just going to ask them 20-ish questions. So this is my 20-ish questions with the pastor, Rob Bell. Rob is a pastor. He's a leader. He's an author. If you have not heard of him, you can go see him at robbell.com. There's lots of information about what he's done. But he's at the center of controversy, as well as a guy who's toured globally with Oprah, as well as a guy who's written two bestsellers. He has an incredible story. But my favorite part about Rob is the kind of person that he is inside of his home. I've been inside of his home dozens of times, and every single time, you just walk away going, I think that might be the kindest person that I've met. I think that might be just a person who's just light and unburdened. The amount of times that you hear Rob laugh out loud is alarming because he's just full of energy and full of life. And I love that I got to have this conversation with him and deliver it straight to you. So I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get to the episode, there's a couple things I want to let you know about. The first one, Phoenix, Arizona, March 14th. I'm doing a live, typically hazardous podcast recording in Phoenix, Arizona on March 14th. We're going to be at the Crescent Ballroom in Phoenix, which is this really, really cool venue. And so I want you to check it out, and I would love for you to come. And you might be listening going, dude, I don't live in Phoenix or in the Arizona region, but you might have a friend or you might know someone you want to send our way. I would love to meet them. If you're in Arizona, I would love to meet you. It'll be awesome. We don't do RSVPs. We don't do tickets. We do, there's no VIP. It's come one, come all. We'll make space for everybody. So come and check it out March 14th at the Crescent Ballroom. And then do you get my emails is the question. You can f- get on my email list in two different ways. And the emails that I send are infrequent emails about events or about podcasts or about new stuff that's coming up. And I got a couple of cool things that I'll send over to you that we've been working on for a little while. And there's two ways to join. One is really easy. You can go to hankfortner.com and just sign up to be a part of the email list. That's really fast. Or right now you can text message 66866. Text message that number, the word Hank, and it will prompt you on how to get on the list. It's so easy. It'll be two text messages and boom, you'll be on the email list. Just text message 66866 and text message the name Hank in the subject and you'll be good to go and you'll be set. Guys, you're awesome. This conversation is super fun. We get into all the goodies with Rob Bell, the pastor, the thought leader, the guy in the middle of a bunch of controversy, and one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. Please listen and enjoy this conversation of 20-ish questions with Rob Bell. Uh, welcome back to Typically Hazardous. This is Hank Fortner, and I'm sitting in the back house of Mr. Rob Bell, sitting at the desk where he's made all of the work of his life, and I'm honored to be sitting here. Rob, thank you for joining us. <laughs> it's great to have you here. You are here uh, with me, and I've asked you for the 20 questions with Rob Bell moment. So I'm just going to rip through a bunch of questions, and you can answer them or shout at me or do whatever you want to do. <laughs> We're counting on you for loads and loads of wisdom <laughs> as we kind of talk about oh, your life. Oh, that is great. Ready? Yes. Okay, the first question that I would have is, 
you were a pastor of a physical church at yes. one point in time, like a physical church with the buildings and walls, and yes. those walls got bigger and bigger. You've been not that pastor of a physical church like that for how long? Four years. Four years. Uh, what's the biggest difference in your life, being a day-to-day pastor of a parish, for lack of a better term, versus uh, the kind of pastor you are now? Dude, the weekend is one of the best invitation <laughs> inventions ever. Yeah. I didn't, my entire working life, you work weekends. Yeah. And when when I uh, and weeks. ended that season of life, and all of a sudden, I was literally a year into it, and I'd say to people, this two-day weekend thing is genius. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So that's the, that's the, that would be the biggest change for you. Oh, well, biggest change, there's like a ton of changes, but that's one that, that's the most basic, um, sort of straightforward, shallow one is, man, two-day weekend. Sundays, aren't they? Magical places? Sundays are magical. Do you go to church anywhere right now? What are we doing right now? Uh, what are you and I doing? Okay. There's two of us. <laughs> that's true. Actually, what's interesting being a pastor is you stand up in front of a congregation and you talk to them, all work is holy. Mm-hmm. The divine is found in every interaction. Jacob wakes up by the side of the road and says, God was in this place, and I I wasn't aware of it. Mm-hmm. Moses takes off his sandals not because suddenly the ground is holy, but become, he's, he's become aware that the ground has been holy the whole time, mm-hmm. and he's just now realizing it. So what you do is you stand up in front of a congregation in a church service, in a community, and you say, all of life is holy and sacred. The whole thing is a temple. And then you leave the church and discover that that's actually true. And so what happened to me is this, our friendship and this interaction, making breakfast for my kids in the morning, my friend John, who was just here for lunch, walking the dog and seeing my neighbor this morning, has become so rich. I'm so much more aware of the more going on here. Hmm. The mystics talk about thin places mm-hmm. where in physical space and time, you become aware of that which is beyond physical space and time. Hmm. Uh, and it's interesting. You talk to people about thin places in their lives, places where they feel more connected, more alive, where their soul somehow bristles with life. Um, I and maybe that happened for someone at a church, and, and maybe so, and and that was churches are else. beautiful. Uh, yeah. A church is a beautiful gathering of people where, where those things happen. They also, as a friend of mine said, this great Irish priest would always just say, "We're churching." It's a verb. We're yeah, churching right. right now. Yeah, it's beautiful. The ta- uh, and in some traditions, they talk about how every table is an altar, hmm. and that the food around the table is a tangible reminder that you are being provided for, hmm. and. So the table becomes an altar. Yeah, it's awesome. Uh, it's awesome. What What do you think is the role of those churches in America now, or in the world? Like, because I because I totally resonate. You with announce what good described. news, and sometimes you use words. So, what do people need? They need to learn how to read. What do people need? They need somebody to sit with them through the night when they're struggling with suicide. What do people need? They need more nutritional food. What do people need? They need somebody to help them get out of credit card debt. Mm. What do people need? They need somebody to sit with them so they don't cut. Uh, um, good news. 
Yeah, right. And good news around a table with bread and wine on it. And this bread and wine is holy because all bread and wine is holy. Yeah, and we beautiful. gather around the table from all these different backgrounds to be reminded that the tomb is empty. And there's a whole new world bursting forth right here in the midst of this one. It's awesome. Yeah. Are you a pastor? <laughs> My wife, Kristen, will say the problem with that word for many people is it conjures up a number of things, a local church and a building and right. a time that is not in the flow of the work that I do. The flip side is often I feel like more of a pastor than ever. It's awesome. What? How do you handle criticism? So I would ask you this in a – I'm going to give you the background of my question. <laughs> I wouldn't is, know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have any experience of that. I, for me personally, don't like haters. I just <laughs> dislike people who are rude to me or mean to me or dislike me or – who just have a fun I assume they just don't understand. I just go, why do they why would they not like me? You know, like I have those like that dysfunction. So for you to go sort of head first into a lot of of you know uh chaotic and a lot of controversial <laughs> areas and have protesters and those sorts of things, how yeah. do you internally manage that stuff? Not like how do you how do your PR people or I don't know if you have PR people. I don't have PR people. If how do your how do you sit down and go, how am I going to respond to this publicly? I mean like in those quiet places of your life, how yeah, do you manage the people question. who say awful things about you? Well lots of answers. My first answer would be there's an art to having thick skin but a soft heart. And it's easy in developing thick skin to build up thicker and thicker calluses on your heart. Mm. F them. They don't get it. You know what I mean? Right. Just, and so there is, you have to have tremendous spinal fortitude. You're doing your work in the world. Mm. And not everybody will affirm that or understand it or be drawn to it. Um. So I begin with, you have to know who you are and what you're doing. Because if you're being, in my case, if you're being criticized by, by really religious people because you're not religious enough, that's nothing I ever set out to do. So I'm not trying to prove that. I, you're telling me I'm breaking the rules of golf, but I'm playing tennis. Um, yeah, right. I'm trying to announce God's love for the whole world expressed in Jesus and I'm not trying to do that thing over there that you're talking about. That's that's. So sometimes criticism is incredibly clarifying. Hmm. And then secondly, sometimes criticism actually confirms the importance of what you're doing. So for a number of people, they were taught that billions of people are going to burn in hell forever because these people didn't believe or say or do or confess or pray a certain thing. And then they were told that that is the good news. That's not good news. That's a horror story. It cannot be that it, no psyche can bear the idea of billions of human beings being tortured by God forever. Mm. So when I express the love of God or I show how devastating that is and how it's not good news, and we ought to run from any institution or belief system that promulgates that, and that system lashes out, it's confirmation that this is a really destructive thing in the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes totally. the hate, and then thirdly, when you talked about the haters, you or whoever, if you got up off the couch and did something, if you 
have, are acting in the world. Lots of people are stuck on the couch, hmm. trapped in their own fear, worry, stress, and anxiety. And if you're stuck on the couch and somebody gets up off the couch and actually goes and tries some stuff, mm-hmm. unless you're willing to go into the depths of your own pains, wounds, and fear, you have to point to them. Because how are you going to explain your own paralysis? Hmm. And like YouTube comments, or a lot of what happens on the internet, a lot you wake up in the morning and you have these limited, sacred, God-given energies to do something about the pain and suffering in the world. And if looking around at how many people in the world need a helping hand, need some encouragement, need some inspiration, if the best thing you can think of to do with these few years you have on planet Earth is to shred the attempts of somebody else, Hmm. um, you have a problem. (laughs) That's a serious, serious, sick spiritual condition. Yeah, totally. And uh, we have an odd moment in history here where you have whole industries that seem to be devoted to giving people expression. We have whole mediums, especially in social media, for people to express this pent-up feeling that their life isn't going how they wanted it to. And uh, that is sad, and sometimes you just have to call it what it is Mm. and say, this has nothing to do with me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) This has nothing to do with me. And then you keep on and do your work because you're here and you get to do your work. Yeah, Yeah, I'm having more fun than ever. It's awesome, even with all the haters. It's not a part of my life. It's never been. I don't Google my name. Somebody might say, I don't know, it's just so far from, it's always felt like it was four rooms over. Yeah, you keep your eye, you're keeping your eye on your work. Yeah, yeah, so I never was like, I've never like, I've never been on my own Facebook page. Oh, I don't, I don't like, it's just not a part of my life. I have work to do. Yeah. And if I were to spend a bunch of time, like, I don't know, what would you be like, blogging against some? (laughs) Yeah. And I actually I think that perhaps the people who have followed my work, if suddenly I was like out there duking it out, would be like, what are you doing? Yeah. Like, don't you have stuff? I got stuff I got to make. Yeah, totally. I got work I love to do. Like, why would I get in a turd fight with this per uh, That just seems like it would diminish what I understand to be the work I got to do. Yeah, I love that. I love it. Yeah. It's almost as if the 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 calling of the work transcends all of the right, right, right. You and like all the listeners to your podcast, we are each the steward of our own energies. Yeah, you're given these. You only have a few years. You you have this limited, holy, sacred energy. What good news are you going to bring the work? Yeah, you, right. the world. Are you a mom? Are you an insurance agent? Are you yeah, a school right. teacher? Um, isn't doesn't that take everything? It takes everything I have. Yeah, right. The thought of like throwing stones at some person on their side of the fence just seems like who has that kind of energy unless you aren't tuned into the thing that you're here to do. Wow. Okay. (laughs) I love that. All right. We're going to go a little surfacer. We're going to, we're going to surface. What's your favorite movie of all time? Uh, It's a tie between Chariots of Fire and Comedian. Comedian. Jerry Seinfeld made a movie after he finished making his TV show. Wow. And it starts, he has more money than to do with. Seinfeld, the show, is over. And a camera follows him. It's late at night in Manhattan. 
and he goes back to one of his old comedy clubs he started out in. He says to the house manager, you know, like, could I like do five minutes? And the host is like, ladies and gentlemen, Jerry Seinfeld. And the crowd's like, yeah, right. And he comes up and he tries to do like five minutes of stand up and he kind of bombs. Wow. And, and then he starts going out at night and going around to different clubs and he gets seven minutes of material and then 11 minutes of material. And then he sort of processes on camera. And even one crowd, he says, why am I here? Like, I made it. Yeah, right. I don't need to be in a comedy club where you decide if I'm funny or not. And it just traces, what are you here to do? Huh. And then he's like, man, I, I got to like... And one of his friends says, so you go up and you do some jokes you used to do to sort of warm the crowd up? And he's like, no, I do all new stuff. Wow. And a couple times he blanks and he freezes. And he has like these little post-it notes and he has to like look down and like a woman's, people start heckling him. And it's just, you cannot watch it. And everybody I've watched it with is like, whoa, like, what are you here to do? Yeah. Right. What is it in you? Yep. Um, it's a, yeah, it's really, yeah. So that and the movie called Chariots of Fire, which is about r- British runners in the twenties. Yeah. Right. Easier to sum- summarize that one. So when I run, I feel his pleasure. Yeah. Right. That one. Hey, uh, favorite book. <laughs> Probably uh, in 1962, an Anglican bishop wrote a book called Honest to God, hmm. which I'm still trying to f- figure out what happened in that book. And then a man named Christopher Miller wrote a book called Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff. Nice. Um, which Biff of? The 13th Disciple. It's oh, okay. unbelievable. Nice. Okay. Um, let me think what else. Yeah, there's so many. I don't even. Yeah, you get me going on books. We'll be here all day. Yeah. Keep going. Oh, who's the last preacher you heard? I don't listen to sermons. Ah, I tell you, a couple years ago, I heard a guy named Colby Martin do an Easter sermon in San Diego about how some gods need to die. Whoa. It was really, really profound. That's cool. When you do want to hear a speaker, who do you listen to? Or who do you hear and you go, that person's just a pleasure? Uh, Eddie Izzard, he's a British comedian. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. I don't actually listen. I don't. You don't I, listen to talks. <laughs> you don't listen to that kind of stuff. Okay. I love that. I heard you t- talk three years ago on leadership. I really like that talk. Oh, good. Awesome. I literally have heard four talks in the past <laughs> couple of years. Nice. I'm 25% of the last. Of I the tell talks. you, I heard a I heard a scholar named Catherine Keller do a talk on quantum physics and divinity. Nice. Recently. Wow. That'd at be a, cool. An event. What's her name? Kathleen Keller, she has a book called The Cloud of Impossibility or something, I think it was called. Oh, She's cool. like a process theologian who who talks a lot about quantum awareness and theology. And she has said a couple of things. Oh, here are my notes right here. Look at my notes on hotel stationery. Um, here, uh, here are my notes. I From her Look job. at the wow. Doubletree stationery. Nice. We are materializations of re- relational difference. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Intercarnation. Uh, we need to acknowledge the queerness of everything. Um, she has all this interesting stuff on experiential and empirical. So there's like little fragments of notes. Wow, that that's are, cool. You'll probably hear me say that in five years in a book. Yeah, right. Like, you know, I always say. <laughs> I always say. Yeah, I've said this <laughs> the queerness for years. of everything. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's Oprah like? Uh, unbelievable. 
you know you're probably going to be overwhelmed with the fact that it's Oprah, even though you're staying cool. So you're like, just be cool, just be cool. She's so present, it's inspiring. Hmm. You're, she looks your kids in the eyes, asks them questions, asks them follow-up questions. There is an, a level of engagement with the world that is nothing short of awe-inspiring. Hmm. And you feel like you've known her forever. Wow. And all those people she's interviewed and all those books she's read, she actually read them and she actually listened. So there's this fountain of wisdom. She started out as a preacher. So th- there is this, she's a teacher at heart. So you're, most people would saw her as interviewing people about their ideas, but she can riff. I heard her do an hour and a half sermon on surrender in which she sang partway through a cappella, I surrender all, all to thee, my precious Savior. Wow. Just best sermon. Yeah, best sermon I've ever heard. Wow. Un, so she, un, you name a topic, she's so grounded and has done so much reflection and can uh, talk about things with such clarity and depth. But at every turn, where some people would use a fancy pants bigger word to show you how smart they are, she will use the word that we would all use in everyday conversation. Hmm. Everything is about how helping others have access to whatever it is. That's cool. And it, yeah, I can't say enough. Who who would you most want to work with? Uh, I would, there's a British writer named Nick Hornby, who I think is just absolutely fantastic. Um, my favorite band ever is Midnight Oil. Peter Garrett was the lead singer in an Australian protest band. Um, I think he is just about the most fantastic. And then I have a now I put out a novel last year, but I have a second one in the works. And there there are a couple of writers or actors who I would it would be like a dream to take this thing and make it into something. Nice. Yeah. What's next for you? <laughs> you what's next for Rob Bell? Are you going to make movies? I mean, you moved out to LA. And all the press was that you don't read was saying Rob's going to make TV shows and do that kind of <laughs> stuff. And you did some stuff with Oprah. Are you going to make movies? Do you want to make TV shows? Are you loving what you're doing? What's next? Oh, I definitely, I, I would love, I have a couple of script things that I would love to make into a movie. That I have a, there's a TV show I would love to make. There's, I love making my podcast because I can talk to all these people just here in my back house. So, I love owning all the pieces and just getting it out. Mm-hmm. Um, a friend and I wrote a pilot for a show. ABC bought it, and it's just sitting on a shelf somewhere. Hmm. I would love for that to get made. That would bring me great joy. But everybody here in town has everybody. something they would love to be made. <laughs> yeah. So I'm well aware that that's not unusual. Sure. Um, and then I, I love doing events where I can take a group of people we can go somewhere for a couple of hours or a day mm-hmm. um so like i'll be heading out on tour now doing these events on saturdays around the country and then around the world um but there's something that happens in the live event where we all mm-hmm. surf a wave together that is i think there's a lot more exploring to do there mm-hmm. and I, lo- I love that it's awesome. So I'll just keep making things. There's a bunch more books coming. There's a bunch. Yeah. Cool. What's the most important thing you've learned as a dad? 
that if you put it off, you're missing the thing that's right here right now. And when I was younger, because our daughter, we took a, we have two boys in high school, and we took a nine-year break. And I think when the boys were younger, I was like, yeah, it's so great, but, you know, I got to take care of these emails. Hmm. And now when my daughter's like, can we play Legos? I'm so much more aware that she's six, and she's going to be seven soon. Yeah, we can play Legos. So it's interesting to me, the nine-year gap, how much in those nine years I learned about no, actually, she's going to be seven, and then she's going to be eight. And they're going to look at pictures when she was six and be like, remember when she was six? So she wants to play Legos, we play Legos. I'm much more likely to drop everything and just bike ride. Okay, bike ride. Nice. Um, because the emails will always be there. Yeah, right. But then she'll be eight and nine and ten. <laughs> yeah. And those emails will That's still That's what I've learned. Yeah. Okay. Uh, what's the most important lesson you've learned as a husband? Uh, the most important le- lesson I've learned is to make dinner because she loves it when I make dinner. And that took about 21 years to learn. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I could have said something really big and sure. grand, but I actually think that the big and grand stuff has worked out mm-hmm. in the everyday, hmm. which is how you actually act every day. Yeah. And making dinner. Wow, that's that's cool. my goal now. That's cool. If I could just make dinner. If a person had a thing they wanted to do in the world, write a book, write a sermon, do a talk, start a church, build a company, whatever. What would you, and they're they're driving in their car right now listening to this going, yeah, I have a thing I want to do. And what would you tell them right now? I would tell them life is really difficult. It's really hard and you're going to get knocked around. You're going to get punched in the face and you're going to be all bloodied a lot. So you might as well, it's going to be difficult. You might as well be pursuing something that fills you with life. That's what I would say to them. <laughs> it's so, going to be hard either way. Yeah. And there's no free pass. And the people who somehow stumbled into the work they get paid to do that they love, they still got punched in the face a thousand times. Right. So why not? And you're like, well, you might fail. Yeah, you might fail. You probably will fail. So you might as well fail at something that makes a good story. You might as well fail and be like, I will never for the rest of my life wonder what if. Sometime in my 20s, I decided I would not live my life wondering what if. I would not live my life wondering, man, I, what if I tried that? So I've been criticized. I've had, I've had sound systems blow up. I've been betrayed. I've lost so much money. I've been misunderstood. I've been humiliated repeatedly. <laughs> But I don't wonder what if. <laughs> That's great. That's true. Do you ever wonder what if I hadn't? Uh, um, oh yeah, I probably have had that. But I'd much okay. rather. I'd much rather. Uh, yeah, just jump. Just keep jumping. Yeah. Do you have any regrets? Just, oh, obviously, when you look back, you're like, I could have handled that betterly, better. I could have made amends quicker with that person. I could have spoken up quicker there. I could have spoken less there. There's all sorts of things if I if you do them over again, I do them differently. But in terms of a nagging sense of regrets or no, it's been incredible. It's awesome. Yeah, and all the messes just make you that much more appreciative when it when it's when it's all coming together. Yeah, it's awesome. What conversation do you feel like the you wish the world would start having that it's not yet? 
all of these divisions that we have cooked up to convince ourselves of how different we are are all fabrications of the ego and that there is one human race and we are all in this together and we are connected and now with quantum physics we are connected at atomic levels right and now with what we're learning about what we've been doing to the earth every scientist is essentially saying like for life to continue, everybody has to wake up to how we're caring for the soil. Yeah. So we are all one, and it is all one. And so it is shalom, it is peace, harmony with each other and with the soil. And we're right now in a suicide machine. Hmm. And uh, a massive collective rising of consciousness is absolutely necessary for our very survival. This is the ultimate pro-life issue. Hmm. We we won't be here unless we all together start making changes. Hmm. Do you think that's going to happen? Or do you think we're going to destroy it all? I do. I do. The great Cornell West was asked some questions about, some question about, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And he's like, those categories mean nothing to me because I am enslaved by hope. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I was like, oh, good. Someone, you know, someone puts language in something that you feel optimist or pessimist. I just always veer towards hope. Yeah. Because it's just a better way to live. We'll figure it out. It'll yeah. all And there's lots of good signs. Yeah, it's great. And lots of distance we still have to go. Yeah. If you and God had a conversation right now in this room, <laughs> what would he say to you? <laughs> oh, I know for sure. Uh, she or he would laugh. I know, I, would there be like laugh? Yeah, I think the whole thing, blessed is the one who's in on the joke. <laughs> I think that's half of Jesus' teaching. I think all the giant, they call it giantesque language. Mm -hmm. Gouge out your eye, camel through the eye of a needle, all that stuff. I, I think at some deep level, Jesus is talking about the absurdity and the grace and the ridiculousness of this extraordinary gift of life that we have. Hmm. Blessed are the ones who understand. Blessed are the ones who get that. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like, look at us. Look at what we can talk about. We're on a hurtling rock of debris going through. Well, the Earth is rotating at 1,000 miles an hour at the equator, hurtling through space at 67,000 miles an hour. There are 100 billion to 200 billion galaxies. Just one of them. And we're sitting outside of a swimming pool. There is no up. There is no down. There's a swimming pool. Right. Yeah. My word, the whole thing. That's a lot. So what happens when we all die? <laughs> what happens when it ends? I have no idea, and anybody who does claim to know, I am deeply suspicious of. I think it's good what happens. It's good. Yeah. Will you know your family? Will you know your friends? Will you know your children? I actually think so. I think that consciousness transcends materiality. And I think, I mean, you have string theorists now talking about it for Earth and human life to exist. That is, there have to be at least 11 dimensions to existence. So right now we have essentially three. You could add time as a fourth. But now you have very, very, very smart scientists saying, for this thing to be the way that it is, there have to be at least another probably seven dimensions. So I don't find it a stretch that there are all sorts of things happening in those dimensions. And that's not woo-woo sci-fi talk. That's like just straightforward scientific talk yeah, about right. how this thing is the way it is. Sure. So uh, the presence 
of consciousness outside of materiality as we understand it, spirits, angels, whatever, isn't actually seem like that big of a stretch. Hmm. Uh, and why is it that human beings for thousands of years have witnessed some awareness of consciousness outside of space-time exactly as you and I see it? That isn't that crazy of an idea. Hmm. Um, so post-death as we understand it, and now with quantum physicists, so they're talking about time not moving forward in a linear fashion as we think of it. And Einstein was one of the first to essentially say time is curved. So even our notions of time, science is now saying, yeah, time isn't what you, th what you think it is. Mm -hmm. So the idea that you would have conscious relations with those who have gone before or gone ahead or however you think about it, I don't find that that crazy. Hmm. And something within me, and I think something within the human experience wants wholeness, health, and reconciliation. When, when we see people who are split come together, something it witnesses to something deep and profound about the nature of the universe to us. And something within me, I never met my dad's dad. And he's sort of this larger-than-life figure in my imagination. I would love to meet him. And... I would love to be reconciled. And some would say that's wishful thinking. You're just sort of, of course, of course it is. Yeah, right. Of so do you think with that, th with that in mind, do you think people can speak to the dead? If yeah. they can interact with us? Yeah, yeah. I have friends. Yeah, I've heard lots and lots of accounts over the years that it would be very hard for that person to have made up what they shared about details, facts, time. And do you think that's evil and wrong and darkness? Or do you think that's just sort of like those dimensions bumping into each other? I think it's dimensions bumping into each other. I think, like anything, it can have a really dark side. Mm -hmm. um, but then other people have found those sort of interactions incredibly comforting. Oh, so-and-so is telling me they're okay. Yeah, right. And people have talked, yeah. It exists in whatever that category is where you can't take it too seriously, but you can't dismiss it. Yeah. So it exists in this sort of razor-edge space where you just let it be what it is. Yeah. But well, all that, I don't find that a stretch. What's the most mystical experience you've ever had? Oh, good Lord. Oh, my word. I don't even know if I should tell this. <laughs> <laughs> I already know you should. The, the title of this podcast is typically hazardous. So if it's... Yeah, this is hazardous. Yeah. This is really hazardous. I've only ever had to use the restroom once in 25 years of public speaking. Like, I had to, had to go pee. Okay. Before Once. you talked or during your talk? In the middle of a talk. Oh, wow. On stage. I'm on stage in front of three and a half thousand people talking. And like, oh, well, I got to go. I got to take a pee. I can't believe I'm telling you this. And so I'm continuing my talk. And the room is in the round. It's three and a half thousand people in the round. Wow. And so as you're talking, you're moving ar around the stage to make eye contact with everybody. And I, this dialogue starts in my head, dude. It's bad. You got to go. <laughs> but I keep talking. No, seriously. You're not going to make it. It's bad. And you're, no, no, I'm you're fine. doing the math on how long can I hold it? Yeah. How much content do yeah, I have left? Yeah. How long is it And there? I'm like, I'll be fine. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Oh, yeah. I'm not going to be fine. <laughs> I'm having trouble thinking. Yeah. And this dialogue, this battle in my head. And finally, I, in my head, as I'm still getting through whatever I'm talking about, I have this, just stop and tell them. There's, you're in too much pain. 
just say, you know what? I'm going to stop right now. There's a lot of love and trust between us. And I'm going to walk right down that aisle. <laughs> I'm going to go in to that restroom in that far corner. And I'm going to come back up here and keep talking. I, I, I have no shame left. I'm in too much pain. Um, so I'm literally rehearsing this as I'm doing this talk. Once again, I cannot believe I'm telling you this story and all your friends. And I think, okay, once more, finish this thought. And so it, like finish this next thought and then just stop and just be honest. And so I finish that thought as I do one more around. Right. And you know when you're speaking, you know, when you're speaking to yeah. a large crowd, you, you, will eye, you will eye contact a few people here and there. As I finish the end of the sentence, I make eye contact with a guy in the southeast aisle, seven seats back, end seat. I make eye contact with the guy. The guy looks at me, starts shaking violently, has a seizure, shakes so violently in his seizure that he falls over into the aisle. The people around him, somebody yells out, leap up from their chairs to like get down on the ground to help him. I say, we've had some sort of medical emergency. Are there any doctors or nurses or EMTs in the room? Because we had people, I think at that point, trained who were sort of each service. Right. People start rushing over to him. And I say to the audience, we have some sort of medical emergency. I don't know what's happened with this gentleman, but it, it's... Um, so let's do this wherever you're sitting. Let's just take a moment in silence and maybe just say a prayer for this man. And I walk out. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was, it was, it was you see what a I mean? gift. Yeah, that's a gift. But, but not a normal gift. Not, not, a normal, like not to that raining. guy. It's not a gift to that guy. Exactly. That's but what I'm saying. But if he's going to have a seizure, it might as well be right in the moment where you could have given yourself an epileptic attack. Do you see how weird that is? And when yeah. you said mystic, I don't know if it's mystical. It's not like it was raining and somebody hands you an umbrella. Yeah. It's such a weird, where do you put that? Yeah. So some people, their mystical thing is, and then John reached out his hand and I took it and I knew that we're going to, some people, they're mystical. Right. Mine is the absurdity, the oddness, the strange connections for me, it's just been hundreds and hundreds of maybe thousands of those moments of, what is this? Yeah. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. What is this? And I completely understand all of those who would say, that is just the weirdness and randomness and chance. Fine. Sure. 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 Call it whatever you want. At some point, you've had enough of them that you're like, I give up. I choose to celebrate the weirdness of this whole thing. Yeah. Which is why I say, if there is a divine <laughs> who showed up to say something, we would laugh. Yeah. and he, Or he would laugh and or describe he, that. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Rob, thank you so much. My pleasure. We've been through 20-ish questions. This is 20-ish so questions with Rob Bell. So great to be with you. Thank you so much. And uh, we can find all of your goods at robbell.com, if that's right. That's and correct. looking forward to the book. Thank you.